In all that we look at in Scripture, lots of verses uh, for this morning are going to be in a, a lot of different parts of the Bible this morning. Just keep it in context of what we just sang, because it really is all about giving God the glory in all that we do. You know, in, um, in our society, we make a lot of rewards, right? We often get trophies for maybe races that we run or ball games that we win. Uh, we get all kinds of awards, right? Maybe it's a plaque or a certificate or a trophy. And at one time or another in our lives, we've all received some kind of award, right? Maybe you have a mantle full of trophies, right? Even if you're an adult, you still keep all of your Little League trophies. I know some of you probably do, right? And they're up there just as a testimony to uh, your great achievements, right, uh, in sports and whatever it may be. Uh, back in ancient days, they received crowns, you know, uh, for their uh, rewards, among other things. And even today, you can still receive a crown. I remember when I was a kid, the very first time that my dad said I was old enough to eat a Whopper. <laughs> I remember it. I know it's silly, but I remember it. Because, you know, thank you. Advertisement right there. But, you know, as a kid, right, I always either ate the, the cheeseburger or the Whopper Junior, right? But I do, it's a weird thing, but, you know, things you remember. I remember that day holding my dad's hand, and he looked down at me, and he said, you want to order a Whopper? And I was just like, today I'm a man, right? You're just like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a Whopper. And so I just remember that day that I, it wasn't a Whopper Junior, it was a real thing. And, um, but, you know, of course, as a kid, what do you get when you go into Burger King? You get one of those crowns, right? Say, I felt like a king, right? I mean, I'm just the king of the place. I got a crown. I'm eating, um, right? I'm eating a Whopper. It's like, that's my kingdom there. The whole indoor play place is my kingdom, right? And I'm wearing the crown. What ingenious marketing by Burger King to do that? Because the idea is they make every kid feel special. I remember as a teenager, we'd go in and just try to get crowns, you know, just you're goofing around and you don't even order anything. You're like, can I get some crowns, you know? Sometimes you do that. You're just being silly. But but what did they do? I mean, they came up with this idea of let's make these crowns. The kids can put them on their heads and they feel special and proud. And they're eating a burger like I get to eat this burger because I'm a king. You know, I have earned it. What is their motto? Have it your way, right? It's like, don't mind if I do. I'll have it my way. I'm the king. But I remember the only problem was every other kid was wearing a crown too, Right? So it's just like, man, everybody was special. It's like today, every kid gets a trophy, right? You get a trophy for participation. Remember Julia when she was in playing softball in the championship, you know, game and uh, the the two best teams, right? They handed out a trophy for second place. I mean, it's kind of obvious, like they were the the you know the, the the first place losers, right? When you come in second, but you still get a trophy. You get a big trophy, and here you go for participation, you know. But, uh, but in life, of course, we love to get the recognition. We love to get trophies and certificates and even a crown, which symbolizes our success and greatness and achievement, right? Because even a crown is a kind of trophy. And like I said, back in the day, you read about it in Scripture. We're going to see that later, that often as um, athletes participated in games and what we might think of like the Olympics, they would get a crown, like a wreath. Right, and that would be their, uh, there's something that they wore as a memorial to their victory. But who else do we know wears crowns? Kings and queens, right? You know what the symbolism there is when a king or a queen 
uh, is where you know is wearing a crown. It symbolizes power. It symbolizes authority, victory, triumph, honor, glory, even sometimes immortality. When they would put that crown on. So we may receive rewards for our accomplishments and things that bring recognition to who we are. But we also like to put those crowns on our own heads sometimes, don't we? Rather than somebody else recognizing our achievement, we do it ourselves. And see, this is what the reformers noticed 500 years ago, right? On Tuesday, the third, October 31st, 500 years ago. There's the, um, what we remember as the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. We looked at five, four different solas, and today is the fifth, about these basic tenets and principles that the Reformers proclaimed. Sola Scriptura was our first one, right? That is in Scripture alone that we find a knowledge about God and about salvation. Uh, that it is sola gratia, which is through uh, grace alone. Sola fide, through faith alone. Um, uh, sol- solus Christos, which is in Christ alone, which is what we did. And then the, the last one is soli deo gloria, which means to glory of God alone, right? And so we're looking at Ephesians 2, 8, 9, that we are saved by grace through faith, um, and that is not of our own works, right? That's been the theme. And so the Reformers also noticed that there was too much self-crowning you know, going on in the church at that time. There was too much uh, recognition for the glory of men and not of God, and especially in the area of salvation, Because one of the biggest questions that the reformers looked at was, how are we saved? What is the nature of salvation? That's what we kept coming back to, to uh, Ephesians 2, right? That it is, we are saved by grace through faith, right? That it's not of our own works. And that ultimately it is all for God's glory and not our own glory. But see, that's where we get stuck, don't we? That we tend to want the glory for ourselves. We might not admit it, but in our sinful nature, it's how we act and think often, even as believers. We want to take those crowns and put them on ourselves. You know, you get that crown from Burger King and it's flat. It's like a cardboard box. You have to fashion it yourself. You take a lot of pride in that. You put it on, right? We do that often in life as we put those crowns on ourselves. But the Reformers noticed that there was too much focus on man and not enough glory to God, especially in the area of salvation. Even to the point where we know, uh, we've often heard this expression, the chief end of man. It's mentioned in the Westminster Confession, you know, part of the, the Orthodox Christianity, right, especially in the Reformation side of things that we say, what is the chief purpose of man? Why were we created? Did you ever just think about that? Why did God create us? Was it to be happy? Was it to, to work, to do our best? You know, was it all these things that the world can offer? No. Why did God create us? For His glory. Is that right? To worship Him, to be worshipers, because when we worship God, we're giving Him all the glory. So the chief end of man, it says, is to bring glory to God. Isaiah 43, 7 says it this way. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Right? That he created us for his glory. 
The ultimate purpose of man, according to the Bible, is simply to glorify God. So what is his glory? What does it look like to glorify God? Let's first do this. Before we go any further, before we look at any other scriptures, let us define what it means when we say glory or God's glory. What does that mean? It's been said this way. The glory of God is the holiness of God put on display. We know the scripture says God is holy. But it's when it is displayed that we can say that it is glory. God's glory is his holiness put on display. We also know that the basic meaning of this word holy is separated out from the common. Right? So when when it says in scripture to be holy because God is holy, it says be holy because I'm holy. That means we are to be separated from the world in which we live. Right? And that's part of our focus in living the Christian life and all that we say and do and think to make sure that we are being setting ourselves aside for God, the one who is ultimately holy, being separate from all that is common. So glory is an outward expression of God's very nature of goodness, of greatness, of majesty, and of beauty. No comparison on earth, none whatsoever. There's no worthy comparison this side of heaven for God's glory. Even His creation displays it and His redemption declares it. You can just turn it off. It's okay. I just I don't want the distraction of going back and forth. So, yeah, that's fine. Just leave it right there. That's all good. So here's how we, we define it, but here's how we live it out. Okay, this is how we, we understand how do we respond to God's glory, see? This is what we do first. We are to acknowledge who God is. You remember the Lord's Prayer when Jesus gave His disciples the example of how to pray? Many people call it the disciples' prayer, right? The Lord prayed it, but it was for the disciples. Here's how you pray, and how does He start? Our Father, who who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. The first thing that we should do when we pray is give God the glory. Do we often do that? I mean, don't we just sometimes, even in desperation, we just come before God and we just start right into the list of things that we need done that God can just take care of for us? But let us start all of our prayers in recognition of who He is. Our Father, who's in heaven, let His name be glorified. Right? So the first thing we do is we acknowledge who God is. Even as we come to worship, we were doing it this morning, we worship God through song and in so many ways. The focus is the fact that He is the Creator of all things and He is our Creator. And because of that, we worship Him. Not only for what He's done, but just simply for who He is. Because of His glory, right? But we glorify Him with our lives, our devotion, our surrender. See, we were created in His image. Remember, it says that back in Genesis, right? Where God says, let us make man in our image, the Trinity there. So we as humans, we are created in His image. Now, we don't say physically, but we say by God's attributes that He shares with us. One of those is holiness. But others like love and compassion, right? These are things that God is and that we can reflect being image bearers of the living God. But of course, we know through sin that image has been tainted. But what, we are, what are we to do then with our salvation? The lives that God has given us, that new life in Christ, is to continually bring Him glory as that image is restored. Never to reach perfection, 
until Jesus Christ returns for us. You know why? Because what's going to happen at that moment? We are given new bodies. Scripture says glorified bodies. There's that word again. So in uh, the bodies that we currently have, we cannot fully glorify God. We can't even come into His presence. How many times do we read in Scripture about those that, right, they wanted to come into His presence and what happened, right? So we even know that Moses, right, he had a glow about him and a veil. And we see throughout Scripture that there is this essence that God is saying, you know, you are on holy ground, right? We cannot approach Him until we have that glorified body. But here on earth through Jesus Christ and Him alone can we enter into His presence. We went through that last week about the veil, the curtain of the temple being torn in two so we now have access to God who is holy to His very glory, but only through Jesus Christ and through Him alone. See, that's what the Reformers were getting at, saying in our salvation, we then begin to understand the glory of God and how we are to reflect it through our very lives being image bearers of the living God. But it says in Romans 3, 23 and 24, we all know this very well, for all have sinned and fall short of the what? The glory of God. Right? So we fall short in our sinfulness of the glory of God. But we are justified by His grace as a gift, it says, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So therefore, we can glorify Him. We seek to glorify Him and bring Him glory because He gave us His glory. It says that in Romans 8, that we get to share in His glory. Isn't that awesome? We're going to look at that in a second and what that looks like. Psalm 8, 3-6, to I'll just read it quickly. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? the Son of Man that you care for Him, says you have made Him a little lower than the heavenly beings. You have crowned Him with glory and honor. See that? It says that we are crowned by God with glory and honor, for we are His creation. is that awesome? We might look at the sun, the moon, and the stars. We might look at the majestic mountains, the vast oceans, and say, God, to You be the glory alone. But how about we look at us as a creation, right? Understanding that through Jesus Christ, we can bring Him glory. It says that He has crowned us with glory and honor because we are His most special creation. It also says at the end of that, you've given Him dominion over the works of your hands. So this verse reveals that another purpose that God has given to man to be uh, to have dominion over the earth, Right? So we were intended to be His image bearers and representatives, but through our sin, we have fallen short, as it said in Romans, to do that. But we have hope, right? We always want to make sure we focus on that hope. Our hope is that we will see His glory again, because our ultimate hope is to see God's glory. Romans 5, 2, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God, right? Perfectly said. God will, it says in Jude 24, present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. He's presenting us with that glory. He will make known the riches of His glory, it says in Romans 9. Right? Jesus Himself is the revelation of God's wonderful glory. And here's where we, we take that. Do you know that ultimately we are 
the trophies that Christ presents to the Father. You know that we're called the, the bride, right? The bride of Christ. So He's going to present us as the bride, as a trophy, right? As God is the victor. So through Christ's death and resurrection, He has vanquished His enemy. Look at this. If you, if you have your Bibles, you should look up this verse. It says in 2 Corinthians 2. If not, you can just make a note and look it up later. 2 Corinthians 2.14, just one verse. I want to read that for you. It's important that we look at it. Here's what it says. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, I just want to take a minute to kind of unpack this verse because it really is all about the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 2.14, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. I'm going to read that again. Here's what it says. Thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. Here's why I gave you that verse and why it's important to our look, to our study of God's glory. Because what Paul is saying in, in writing this, he is basing that description of a triumphal procession, right? He's picturing himself in this triumphal procession that God is leading. Here is what he's basing it on. The people of the day would have understood this. See, back during the, the Roman Empire, they often had a triumphal procession like a parade, like a victory parade. So the king, the ruler, the emperor, the, the general would come back from war and they won the war and so there would be this great parade, right? We, we kind of know what they look like when our local team wins the, the trophy, right? They win the championship and they have a great parade, you know, uh, in the city and there's confetti and all that. There's a recognition of their victory. Well, here's, that's what Paul is describing. Because everybody knew that that's what the Romans did. They would come in and they'd have this great parade. But here's what would happen in the parade. They would have all the slaves, right? The prisoners of war that they would take that were now their slaves. They would have them chained and the slaves would be marching in the parade as trophies of their victory at war. That's something. So the king would be at front, right? And he'd be marching through the parade and people would be cheering, right? Maybe wearing some kind of crown or wreath and behind him would be the spoils of war. Slaves. Slaves who were made to march in this parade on display as living trophies of that leader's victory. So Paul is saying, you know what? Now in Christ, I am in God's triumphal procession. I am now no longer a slave to sin, but a slave to Christ. And he's glorying in the fact that he is chained together, marching in this procession. See that? He's turning it around. He pictures himself. He goes, I'm in this triumphal procession, he says. And thanks be to God for it. Because God is leading the triumphal procession in a spiritual sense. Because who is the victor of all things? It is God. God the King, right? And so Paul is saying, look, I am a trophy. I am a trophy on display because he is now captive to the Lord Jesus Christ, once a slave to sin, but now to Jesus himself, right? As a trophy of God's victory 
through God's grace in Christ because God gets the parade and therefore gets all the glory. Right? But there's also the end of that verse I want to point out again. He says, not only that, but through us, he's saying through us as believers, he spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. It's another, um, it's another reference to this parade because in those, in those triumphal processions, these parades, not only did they have the slaves marching along as, as visible trophies, they had incense burning. And the incense would kind of heighten the atmosphere, right? That of incense during their celebrations and worshiping of the, of the king and the leader, right? And so Paul says, now in a spiritual sense, we, slaves to Christ, we are his fragrance. It says, of the knowledge of him everywhere. So what Paul is saying, you know, the way that we bring glory, and here's why I bring it up. Here's how we glorify God, right? By sharing the good news of the gospel. Not only with our words, but by living it out. Because through that, Paul is saying, by us being living examples of the gospel, we are reflecting the glory of God by sharing that good news. Just like the incense was an aromatic fragrance. He says that's what we are. We are to be a fragrance. Do you smell good this morning? Hopefully for your neighbor that you do, right? But we are to be in a spiritual sense, right? To be bringing that that sweet aroma of the truth of the gospel to the world around us. Making every place we go smell just a little bit sweeter. <laughs> nice, right? So that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, we are trophies for God through Jesus Christ, on display for the world to see, just like we're in this triumphal procession. And we say all that and make it a point so we can have that visual that we are to bring glory to God. See, at the time that Paul was writing this, he was really discouraged. We know that happened a lot, right? But Paul was very discouraged about things that were going on in his life at the time. So he was facing trials, but what did he do? He turned, as he always did, the focus his focus outward and not inward. Not giving himself any glory for anything, right? Not looking inward, becoming depressed. But he gave it outward, giving the focus to God, giving him all the glory. And that's a good lesson for us, isn't it? When we start to feel sad or depressed, frustrated, when we doubt things in our life, we're all turning inward, aren't we? You go to any kind of counselor, the first thing that they'll tell you to do is part of a therapy or recovery or working through trials. They'll say, go serve. Go help somebody. Help somebody move. Serve in a, a soup kitchen. Go do something for somebody else. When you pray, even through your trials and your desperation, pray for somebody else. Get the focus off yourself. The focus on others and glorify God. Right? When we are told... The two greatest commandments are to love God and love others. It doesn't say love yourself. The focus is others. See that? Others focused. Love God. Focus on Him. Love others. Focus on them. And when we do that, then what we do, little less, little less every day, putting those crowns on ourselves. We get away from that and putting the crown on Jesus Christ where it belongs because He alone is worthy. Right? But did you know, I want to spend a few minutes looking at this. Did you know that in the New Testament, right, we are given a description of five crowns that we as believers will receive in heaven? Did you know that? 
Did you know when you get to heaven, you'll get a crown even better than the Burger King paper crowns that you get? When you get to heaven, there will be crowns. And I think that this is, this is a, um, a true teaching of Scripture, of course, that can sometimes be difficult for us as believers to understand. Like, why would there be some kind of rewards-based system in heaven? Because we know we don't get to heaven. We don't earn our salvation by anything we do. That's clear. We talk about it all the time. Right? That's a key teaching of the Reformation. It's salvation by grace alone. It's God. Through faith alone, we receive it in faith, right? For Christ alone, His glory. But there is, mentioned many times, at least these five and others, there is mentioned this reward system in heaven. Now, it is and could be and should be a motivating factor for us because these are, these are crowns that God gives us, right? Even though we may look at it as we earn it for our obedience and our faithfulness, which is what Scripture seems to teach. What I'm going to do is show us as we close in a few minutes how we take that focus of even these heavenly crowns that we will be given, right, when we get to meet Christ face to face. Because of our obedience here on earth, we even take those crowns and turn it around to bring Him glory. But I just want to show you, you can write these down. I'm going to give you the name of the crown and uh, the biblical reference for each so you can write them down and look it up later and study those on your own. But these crowns give the idea of um, being royalty, right? We think of, of kings wearing crowns. Remember I mentioned last time that we are a royal priesthood, right? So in essence, we should all be wearing those crowns. But these are crowns that we are given in heaven for our obedience right, and our faithfulness here on earth. But they are given to us by God because of his glory, which we'll see. Just an interesting note, the, um, the Greek word, often we, we like to look at the original language, of course, but the Greek word that we get crown from, anybody know what it is? Stephanos, thank you, Brother Bob. It's a popular name. From Stephanos, the Greek word, we get the name Stephen. So I told, we have two Stephens here at least, I, I should have got him a Burger King crown. They could have worn it during service, that would have been good, right? You would have done that, right? Steve Striffler definitely would have, I know he would have. Thank you, brother. So Stephanos, right? Stephen, it means crown, crown of glory. Wear it proudly, brothers. You should. But the first crown we notice is called the crown of rejoicing. That's the first crown. Crown of rejoicing. We find that in 1 Thessalonians 2.19. I'm going to be moving kind of quickly, so just you can write down that reference. 1 Thessalonians 2.19, the crown of rejoicing. And the verse says this. For what is our hope or our joy? For our crown and rejoicing, is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Talking about the rapture, the coming of Jesus Christ, we get our glorified bodies, right? So that we can truly be in his presence and bring him glory and be prepared for that. Ultimately, we are given the crown of rejoicing. Philippians 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always, right? Luke 15, there's even rejoicing in heaven now, even as one comes to the knowledge of Christ for salvation, there are re- there's rejoicing in heaven, right? Revelation 21 gives us um, reason to rejoice. God will wipe away every tear. No more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All those former things have passed away. Therefore, we get a crown of rejoicing for putting our faith and trust in Christ, especially during our times of trials. So that's the first one, count of rejoicing. The second one, the imperishable crown. 
That's from 1 Corinthians 9, 24-25. 1 Corinthians 9, 24-25, the imperishable crown. It says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? He didn't know about participation prizes yet, I guess, right? He says, So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, They do it to receive a perishable wreath. There's that crown they get. But we an imperishable. See, he's he's given us the spiritual sense of it. Athletes, they compete to win the prize, the trophy, the crown, you know, whatever it is, the award. But he says we, and those are all perishable. All those trophies you have on your mantle, I'm sorry. You can't take them with you. But what we do, right, in our love for Christ, our devotion to Him every day, is that what we are earning for ourselves in heaven, if you want to say it that way, is a crown that is imperishable. Again, let's make no doubt about it. We are never earning our way to salvation. That is only of God. And that's very clear. We've been looking at that. Right? But through our faithfulness and living out the Christian life, living out the life after salvation, right? That what we call sanctification, being set aside for God that we are earning those crowns. The crown of rejoicing. The imperishable crown. Right? We are told in Matthew 6 to store up our treasures in heaven, not on earth. Why? Because moth and rust destroy those on earth where thieves break in and steal. So we set up our treasures in heaven. Those crowns, those wreaths of victory they receive would perish and fade away. Right? First Peter 1 3 to 5 says that we are receiving an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you. Isn't that great? This should all, this should be very encouraging to us, brothers and sisters, giving us encouragement and hope of what awaits us. Number three, the crown of righteousness. It says in 2 Timothy 4 8. 2 Timothy 4 8, the crown of righteousness. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. But not only me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. He says there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. But again, we've looked at this as well. We receive that crown because of Christ. Remember what happens at that moment of salvation, that Christ's righteousness is imputed, we say, or put onto us, and our sin is put onto Him. That's that exchange we talk about. That's why we can receive a crown of righteousness, because it is God's righteousness through Christ that is given to us. See? Number four, there's two more, the crown of life. We are given the crown of life. Revelation 2.10. He says, don't fear what you're about to suffer, John says. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, so that you may be tested. For ten days you will have tribulation. But be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. about that? This crown is for all believers, but especially those who endure suffering, who bravely confront persecution for Jesus' sake, even to the point of death. John 10.10, I come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. 
John 4 says He's the bread of life. See that? We know someday our earthly lives will end. But we have this amazing promise that comes to only those who come to God through Christ. 1 John 2. This is the promise that He has promised us. Eternal life. The final crown. The crown of glory. That's what we're talking about this morning. Glory. 1 Peter 5.4 The crown of glory. 1 Peter 5.4 When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. There it is again. Talking about how these rewards, these trophies, these crowns are imperishable and unfading. Right? Unlike any trophy or accolade or award or a crown that we might see, uh, that we might receive in this life. Right? It shows that we are blessed to enter into the kingdom. Romans 8, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be received. Right? Amazing. But here's where I bring the focus to end our time today. Revelation 4, 8 to 11. Can you turn to that? If you have your Bible, turn to that. Revelation 4, 8 through 11. This is really where our focus should be. This is the passage that motivated us to sing some of the songs we sang this morning. Glory to God forever. Great are you, Lord. What we call a revelation song taken right from this scripture. In a few minutes, we'll close with another song that comes right from the Word of God. Here's what it says in Revelation 4, 8 to 11. It's a picture given to us of worship in heaven. It is a picture given to us of worship in heaven. It is a picture that Jesus Christ gives to John, who writes out the letter of Revelation. And here is the vision that he gives him. The four living creatures, each of them with six wings, they're full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever these living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, the One who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, these are other people that are around, right? 24 elders, they fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and they worship Him who lives forever and ever. And here's what they do. Picture it. The 24 elders gather around. They're worshiping Him forever and ever. The creatures are saying, Holy, holy, holy. And it says, The elders cast their crowns before the throne. And when they do it, they say, Worthy are You, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Do you see what happened there? It's it's this great picture of the elders gathered around, right? Whoever we may believe, you know, who they, they are. They are gathered around the throne wearing the crowns that they received. These crowns we've been talking about. And as they're worshiping, look what they're motivated to do. They take these crowns that they earned through their trust and their faith in Christ on earth and what do they do they lay him down at the feet of the, at the feet of the, Jesus they lay him down at the throne they take these crowns which they are allowed to wear that they're given by God himself 
They cast their crowns at the feet of Jesus. And we are to do the same in this life and, of course, when we get to heaven. Whatever crowns we may receive, whatever accolades, whatever glory we may get in this life, whatever rewards or trophies, in our worship, let us turn it all back to praise for Him and give Him the glory so that we are constantly taking any crown that we may have, especially those we have put on ourselves, we take them off and we cast them at the feet of Jesus. And why? It says, this is what they said, and this is what we should say. You cast your crown before Him, and you say, worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. They took even their heavenly crowns and cast them at the feet of Jesus. Do you know that's what we do in worship? We, we turn it all back to God. We turn our focus back to Him. There's that song that we sing sometimes, right? Blessed be your name, I think it is. Every blessing that you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. That's what we do. But that's what we should do not only when we get together on Sundays and sing songs, right? But every day and in, in, in every aspect of our life, we turn it back to God. We give Him the glory. To God be the glory. Right? I'd like to think when you see professional athletes doing that, they hit a home run, they're going like this, or they get a touchdown and they're looking up, right? Just like to think what they're trying to do is give the glory to God, not themselves. Thank you, God, for giving me the talent or the ability to do these things. Whatever that looks like in your life, we are to do the same thing that the elders did, gathered around the throne. They cast their crowns saying, worthy are you. Living a surrendered life with a humbled heart, Right? When we see His glory, we will be motivated to lay them down. We, of course, know that we will get those glorified bodies for heaven, prepared to bring Him glory for all eternity. But then finally, we know, as I read earlier, that we are heirs in Christ to share in that glory. So therefore, it's really not ours to, uh, to earn. It's all God giving us His glory, right? But here's what it says, the last verse of the day, 1 Corinthians 10.31. We all know it. Whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. See that? So no matter, even though we know about these five crowns, they can motivate us to, to live lives uh, set apart for God, right? Trying to be holy because He is holy through the power of the Spirit doing all of that. Recognizing we will receive crowns in heaven for those things. But even then, we are to turn everything that we do, all the, even whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Just as those elders did around the, the, uh, the throne. So we are to worship Him, give Him the glory, live your life for Him. Always saying, thanks be to God, to Him be all the glory. We sang it this morning, to God be the glory for great things He has done. Right, And through us, God's glory can be seen on earth. In our love, our humility. Remember, we're image bearers, created in His image. And as such, as we live out our lives as believers and then followers of Jesus Christ, we are to reflect God's glory. Did you ever hear it said that, like, that you might be the closest thing that people see to Jesus, that we represent Him? Well, in a way, that's true. We're called to be His ambassadors, to live for Him. We represent Christ to the world. And in doing so, Scripture tells us very clearly that we then are to reflect His glory. So we don't have the glory. We are not 
glory in ourselves. That's God's nature, but we reflect it like a mirror, right? That what happens is God's glory, we share in it, but we, as a mirror, we reflect it and give it right back to him. See that? That's what we are to do. So in all things, even how we express ourselves, how about this? Even how we are creative in the way that we express ourselves in our lives, that brings glory to God. We all have things that we like to do to use our talents and gifts to bring glory to God. There's many ways to do that in the church. You know that we're given spiritual gifts by the Holy Spirit to edify and encourage the church first. That's the whole idea. But in all that we do to give glory to God, even as we are expressions of God the Creator, because God created the sun, moon, and stars, the heavens and the earth. God created the majestic mountains and the vast ocean, but He also created us. And so however we might, <clears throat> however we might express our creativity as a reflection of God the great Creator, it's all for His glory. Musicians do it through their music, artists through their art. Writers through their writing. You see what I'm saying? It's all for his glory. I'll end with this great picture. We all know of Johann Sebastian Bach, right? A great writer of classical music. He is well known for writing on the top of every one of his great works, his initials. But at the bottom of every one of his sacred works and most of his secular works, there are three initials, three letters, S. D, G, soli Deo Gloria. Because he wanted his life to be a reflection of God's glory, especially in the music that he created. He never wanted to forget that the musical talent that he had, the genius that he had for writing music, was all because of God. And he never wanted to forget that. So in everything he wrote, he put his initials, because he was the one writing it out. But at the end, SDG, Soli Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone. Right? So let us do that. Let us be a reflection of God's glory. May our lives always reflect that sense that we have a place and perspective and understanding our position before God, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. For that is what we talk about when we say the great reformation that began 500 years ago with that 95 thesis being posted on the door of the chapel of Wittenberg in Germany by Martin Luther, the Catholic monk, who said we need to get back to what the Bible says. And what does Scripture tell us? That it's not for our glory, anything that we have. It's all because of God, and we are to reflect His glory. Especially when we talk about salvation. It is by grace alone through faith alone, only in Christ and no one else, but ultimately, as the chief end of man says, that we are created to give him glory and him alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a blessed opportunity that we've had over these past five weeks to look at those basic and great foundational tenets of our faith. We recognize these things to be important, We have them as our foundation of all other great doctrines and beliefs that we have, understanding that you alone are worthy. But Father God, what we struggle to do often in these lives is to give you that glory, to turn it back to you. Father, we do so love to wear those crowns, to receive those trophies, to give ourselves props and 
accolades and recognition. God, we, we find so many different ways to do that, to put ourselves out there, to try to bring some glory to ourselves. But God, would you help us within our heart of hearts, deep within our mind, that we would recognize that all that we have, all that we are, comes from you and to you alone belongs all the glory. To God be the glory. So God, would you help us to do just as the elders did around that great throne of Christ, God in heaven, to cast our crowns at his feet. Doing that every day in all that we say and all that we do. And when we do that, we turn our attention away from ourselves and back onto you the way it should be. Thank you, Lord, for creating us, for bringing us together as a church. And God, help us to fulfill that great calling, the reason for our being created. And that is to be worshipers of you, to bring you and you alone glory, for you the one who is worthy. Father, as we close our time just singing those great words of truth, meet us right where we are through your spirit, that we can reflect on our walk with you, our relationship with you, and where we stand, and that we would always recognize who you are and who we are, willing to always give you the glory. And Father, we thank you for that opportunity to do so. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us?